0: Friends, welcome. So glad that each and every one of you are here. My name is Holly Worsley. I'm one of the elders here at Lake Forest-Davidson, and I have the privilege of delivering our message today. So let me pray for us, and we're going to jump right in. Dear Father, I'm so aware that we have all carried things in here this morning. Some of us have carried joys and hopes and excitement about this time of year, and some of us have carried in tremendous burdens. Lord, I I love about you, and I thank you that you're the kind of God that uses your word and your story to meet each of us individually exactly where we are today. And I pray and ask, Father, that you would use the truth of your word in this time that we are together, that your Holy Spirit would speak directly into the hearts of my friends, that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us, and that you would make us more the people that you have created us to be. And we ask that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, friends, the moment that we will celebrate this morning, God has been pointing to since the third chapter in his Bible. He's been been pointing towards it since the third chapter. Literally all throughout God's Old Testament story, he's been pointing. He's been prophesying. He's been predicting. He's been communicating. He's been saying, I'm coming. The rescuer is coming. The deliverer is coming. I'm coming for you. He told King David, He said, David, David was the great king of Israel that united all of the tribes of Israel into one kingdom. He said, David, from your family will come a child. A child will be born from your descendants, and he will be the king of Israel. His throne, though, will last forever. That child will be the rescuer, the deliverer, that will reunite God's people with God the Father he told Isaiah some 700 years before this moment that we'll celebrate this morning. He said, Isaiah, speak this to my people. For unto us a child is born, God said through Isaiah. Unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it from this time forward and forever. God has been predicting and pointing and prophesying and saying, I'm coming to the moment that we'll look at this morning. But then after all of that prophesying, all of that predicting, all of that word from God, there was silence for 400 years. For 400 years, some four generations, they waited. God's people waited and they heard nothing. There was no new prophet There was no new word from God. They had the promises of God. They must have been thinking, has God forgotten us? Has God changed his mind? Has God abandoned us? Because there was only silence until the moment we'll celebrate this morning. God would send his mighty angel, Gabriel, to two very different people to announce the coming of of two very special babies. Gabriel would first appear appear to a man named Zechariah. Zechariah was married to a woman named Elizabeth, and they were were faithful, God-fearing people. The Bible doesn't say it, but Jewish tradition has it that Zechariah was in his early 90s, and Elizabeth was in her late 80s. By this time, and they had lived their entire life faithful to God, loving God, but longing for a child that God had never given them. This is what Luke says about this couple. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, they were observing all of God's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. I love the way that God, that scripture speaks. They were godly people who loved God and they were old people. I mean these they, they're they're well along, understand the picture that we're dealing with here. Zechariah actually in the culture and even in the rabbinical culture in the in the priesthood would have been encouraged to take another wife. I mean, he would have been pushed his whole life to take another wife because if he died, there was no son to give his possessions to, no son to give his inheritance to, and his name, his family name would end. And so there would have been a lot of pressure culturally for him to take another wife. And this godly man said, no. I will love this woman, and I will love God the Father, and I will live with this huge disappointment in my life. I will live with this enormous longing in my life, and I will just carry that. And so Zachariah and Elizabeth are setting up the beautiful pattern of God. And here's God's God's pattern all throughout that Old Testament story, all throughout the story that's pointing to this moment. Here is who God has always been, and here is who he still is today. God's pattern is this. He likes to come into situations that seem unfixable and to use people that seem unusable. God is at his very best in situations that seem absolutely unfixable and to use people that seem completely unusable. That is our God, our Father. So it's been 400 years since the Israelites were in the land of Canaan, the the land that God gave them, that God helped them battle and take. And they've been in the land 400 years now, and now they're a great nation And there was one tribe of the 12 tribes that became Israel. It was the tribe of Aaron. And any male born into the tribe of Aaron was to be a priest for the nation of Israel. And so Zechariah was from the tribe of Aaron. He was a priest, but he was one of 20,000 priests in Israel now. They were a great nation. There were 20,000 priests caring for the people of God. And there was one temple So they had taken these 20,000 priests and they had put them in divisions. In your division, you might have 700 or 1,200 priests. And one week of the year, your division would go to the temple and you would serve God. And this was Zechariah's week. He would go with his division and, and they would go to the temple and all of these priests of Israel would pray. They would say, God, who among us should take your pray, our prayers to you in the temple. Who, who among us should do that? And they would pray and they cast lots and Zachariah's name was chosen. And so here was the call in his life. He would take a golden bowl and all of the priests of his division are watching and all of the people of, of Israel are knowing what's happening and he had a golden bowl and he would take Red hot coals from the altar of sacrifice where faithful families of God would come and they would sacrifice a lamb. And they would say, God, forgive our sins. Connect us back to you over and over. He would take coals from that altar and he would put them in this golden bowl. And then he would walk through the court of the temple while the priests on either side and he would begin carrying along with the bowl incense and he would step up the steps of the temple and he would disappear into the holy of holies of the temple where few men ever went and when he got inside the temple there would be this 18 inch square that was 3 feet off the ground it was known as the altar of incense and he would he would stand upon it with these coals And he would place the incense in the bowl and this this incense, this fragrance would begin to rise up to heaven. Revelation says that that the the fragrance, the incense of our prayers rises to heaven and he hears every one. And so Zachariah would have been there and he would have been praying two prayers that day. One of the prayers would have been, God, help Israel, help your people to be faithful. God, help us in a world where so many are pressuring us to be unfaithful, to forget God. Help us to remember you, God, and to be faithful. And the second prayer would have been, God, send the Messiah soon. Send the rescuer, send the deliverer, send the one that will reconnect God's people to God, the Savior that will reign forever forever. And ever sent him soon, God. And Zechariah would have been praying that for all of Israel. And in that moment, the angel Gabriel appeared before him. Now, if you're thinking little sweet angel, little cherubim, little fluffy wings, dismiss it. This was a mighty warrior angel that appeared this is, this is Gabriel that sits, even at this moment, in the presence of God. And, and, and Gabriel was face to face with this mighty warrior angel. And we don't know exactly what Gabriel looks like, but we do know this, that every single person that encountered him fell on their face in fear. Because a, a human, a man that loved God, was face to face with just a glimpse of heaven. And it was overwhelming. And Gabriel's first words to Zachariah, are, Don't be afraid. It actually says that the Zachariah was gripped with fear. And Gabriel says, Don't, don't be afraid. Your prayers have been answered. Listen to the beauty of what God is doing. Your prayers have been answered. You will, your wife Elizabeth will have a son. You will call him John. And all of the prayers that you have been prayed will be answered. He will go before Jesus and help Israel to come back to faithfulness. He will precede Jesus and point to the Messiah, the rescuer, the deliverer. But the prayers of Zachariah and Elizabeth are answered too. They'll have a son. Gabriel says, All of your prayers will be answered. Zechariah looks back at, at this angel. He says, How can I be sure of this? I mean, I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Good for him. He didn't say old, he said, Well along in years. He said, Good man. He's a good man, people. But we can't get past the initial truth that his first reaction was doubt. His first reaction was doubt. Now here's a a priest, a godly man. The scripture itself says they had lived upright. They had obeyed all of God's commands. They They loved God. And I sat this week and I thought, why? I wonder why, Zachariah, why was your first reaction doubt? And I wondered something about myself. I, I wonder because at this point in my life, I mean, I'm not Elizabeth's age, but I'm not a spring chicken. And if God came to me and said, I want to dramatically change everything about your life, it would be harder for me to say yes than when I was 20. Because the older I get, the more complicated the more I want it to go the way I see it going, the more I want to define how it's gonna look, the more I'm locked down and on my script, on my story, the older I get, the harder it is for me to say, God, you write my story. No matter what it looks like. Because you know best, and you have best, and you are best. And I wonder if why it was hard for Zachariah was because he was old. He was locked into his story into his script he does come around Gabriel says to him Zachariah you will have this son but you will be silent throughout Elizabeth's pregnancy so that you might sit and ponder the mysteries of God so that God might rewrite this in your heart you won't be able to speak until John is born so then Gabriel is sent on another mission Another errand by God, God's great messenger angel, Gabriel, is sent to a very different person, to a young girl, maybe 12, 13. Her name was Mary. We don't even know what Mary was doing. We know that that Zachariah was in the temple. He was a great priest. It was a great moment. You would have thought maybe that God would show up there, that God would announce to a priest in the great temple in that great moment But God likes to come into situations and use people that seem unusable. And so he shows up to a young girl. We don't even know where. Was she outside? Was she in her home? Was she doing chores? We don't know. But we know that the angel Gabriel, the same angel, this great messenger of God that appeared to Zachariah had such great joy in also appearing to a young girl. And he comes in front of Mary And he says, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Friends, this is the most beautiful greeting because it doesn't say you are highly favored as in you are so holy, Mary. That's not what that means. That word favor there means grace, unmerited favor, grace. So what the angel is saying is, Mary, God is going to pour unearned grace on you in abundance. You're just a sinful young woman who loves God like every other woman who is faithfully trying to follow God. And God is going to taste, take abundant amounts of grace and pour it upon you and use you mightily. Mary looks back at him. She's confused. She's bewildered. She says, how, how will this be? I, I'm con- how will this be? I'm a virgin. And he says, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and the Holy One to be born will be the Son of God. Mary, even your Aunt Elizabeth is six months pregnant now. Mary, God wants to use your body, your future, your marriage, your reputation, your family. He wants to rewrite your entire story, everything about you, everything you'd foreseen, everything you expected. God wants to rewrite it. And Mary says... I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. She boldly obeys God. She sacrificially obeys God, even though she does not fully even understand what lays ahead. The scriptures say that right after that moment, can you imagine a day later, the next morning, that she's thinking, did that happen? But God gave her a grace Her aunt Elizabeth. And so she packs her things and the scripture says she immediately leaves for Elizabeth's house. There's no text, there's no email, there's no phone. She bursts into the house of Elizabeth and she calls out to her, Elizabeth. The scripture says when, when Elizabeth heard the sound of Mary's voice that the child within her, John, leapt. And Mary had said nothing and Elizabeth looked at her and she said, blessed are you among women. And blessed that you believed God at his word. It says that Elizabeth was six months pregnant when Mary arrived. And then it says that Mary stayed for three months with her, which equals nine months. It it doesn't say that she was there at the birth of John the Baptist, but I imagine, I believe that she was. She saw Elizabeth give birth to this child in a way that was impossible other than God. And Zechariah's tongue was freed and he could speak again. And Mary could speak to Zechariah and they could say, yes, I saw the angel too. God is truly doing this thing. And they could talk and they could pray and she could go back into what she was going to have to go back into with the strength that she would need, with the belief that she would need. Because when Mary said to God, I am the Lord's servant, may your word to me be fulfilled. That meant two things, friends, and it means the same two things to us when we say it. It meant unspeakable joy, but obedient sacrifice. It means both, and if we lose either one, we've lost the true meaning of it. Obedient joy and unspeakable sacrifice. Mary experienced unspeakable joy God had been saying to his faithful people all throughout time I'm coming I'm coming for you I will bring a messiah I will bring a rescuer and she was allowed to carry that child she was allowed to participate in the greatest miracle other than the rising of Christ that we have ever known she was allowed to hold that baby she was allowed to raise that baby. That was unspeakable blessing, unmerited grace poured out in her life. It was unspeakable joy. But do not miss that it was also great obedient sacrifice. Because Mary had to travel back and talk to Joseph. She was legally his wife. They said he, she was Engaged to him, we would use the word engaged, and he—that meant she was legally his wife, although she wasn't living with him yet. And so, she had to say to Joseph, "I'm with child." And we know that Joseph didn't believe her at first. Would you? Joseph didn't believe her, and we know that they—they went apart after they talked. Because Joseph was alone, and he had planned to quietly divorce her. Again, a godly man. He could have killed her. He could have had her stoned by the law. He was going to quietly divorce her because he was a godly man. But that night in a dream, an angel came to Joseph and said, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. It truly is the deliverer, the rescuer, the son of God. Don't be afraid. And that godly man woke up the next morning believing this dream, which is always the way God would speak to Joseph. And he obediently went directly to Mary. And he took her to her home and he provided for her and he protected her. He did not know her as his wife until after Jesus was born. But that godly man took her in. We know that Joseph didn't believe her at first. We know that they lived in a small town called Nazareth. Have you ever lived in a small town? People talk. The people of Nazareth could count. They could count the nine, and Mary's months didn't add up. So we know that Mary lived under the stigma of being unfaithful. Understand, she was doing maybe one of the most incredible things that the Lord has asked anyone to do, and she would live her life under the stigma of being a woman who was unfaithful. We know that Caesar... He was over all the Roman Empire, he could have cared less about the Jewish people as long as they didn't cause any trouble and they paid their taxes like everybody else, that Caesar decided he wanted to count the heads in his Roman Empire so that he could properly tax them. And so in Mary's ninth month of pregnancy, Caesar put out an edict to his entire Roman Empire that you have to go to the town of your father's heritage. Both Mary and Joseph were of the heritage of David, of the line of David. They were descended from King David, and so they had to go to the city of David, Bethlehem. And so understand, in your nine months, I've carried five children, and I have four precious children here on this earth, and here's where you are in your ninth month. Your ankles are swollen. You ache, okay? Your body is so large, you will do anything to get rid of this child that is within you. I mean, have, bring them into the world, right? You're done, you're over it, you're ready to deliver. And here's what you also are. You want everything to be perfect, okay? The nursery, the things for the child, the whole environment, how it comes. I mean, you have this like hyper mom thing going that it's got to be just right. And your husband is doing all the wishes that you have. And so are probably everybody around you. She had those desires. She had those aches and pains. God, God sent them on a 90-mile journey, a four-day journey at nine months pregnant. They had to be thinking, God, did we do something wrong? Did we, did we mess up somehow? Why, why are we going to Bethlehem? What is going on? They had to be confused. And where she wanted everything to be just right and calm and perfect, there were crowds. And it was loud, and it was busy, and it was foreign, and it was chaos. We know that her family wasn't there for the birth of her first child. We know that there were no women around her that had delivered many, many babies. We know that it was Mary and a young man named Joseph who had likely never seen a baby born. And they were in a cave because they couldn't find anywhere else for this child to come. And we know that seemingly unannounced and unseen was born to a young, frightened couple, the Savior of the world. The King, the Rescuer, the one who would reconnect God's people to God was born. We know that Mary was the only person in the history of the world, that saw both Jesus come into the world and stood at the foot of the cross when he left this world. She was the only one. We know that this pierced her heart and her soul as a mother. What must Mary have been feeling when she first believed the resurrection? What must Mary have been feeling? Friends, when we say, Lord, I'm your servant, may your words to me be fulfilled. And God, you write my story. When we say that, it's worship. It's worship. I don't know what you think of when you think of worship. Maybe you think of music or you think of church. I don't know what first comes to your mind, but I want you to hear in this Advent season that when we say, God, you write my story, that's worship. And we love, one of the things we love the very most about Lake Forest Davidson is that in this room this morning are people that are in all different places with God, that we celebrate that there are people that barely had the courage to walk in here today to consider that God might want to write your story that God might want to lead your life, that God would forgive everything you've ever done and everything that you hide and you can't express because he loves you exactly where you are and he wants to start with you right where you are. And so if there are some of you in this room this morning that just want to say, God, I am willing to crack my heart just a tiny bit to consider that you're real, that you want to lead my life, that you love me endlessly, I want you to hear me say, I want me you to hear me clearly, that's worship. That's worship. If there are some of you that need to confess this morning, God, I know that following you will be both unspeakable joy and obedient sacrifice. If some of you need to confess and say, God, right now all I'm feeling is the sacrifice part. All I'm feeling is the hard part. And I'm given out of strength, God, and I need you to show up. Praying that prayer to God is worship. That's worship. Some of you might be considering for the very first time that, that, you know what? I'm doing a terrible job of writing my story. God, I want you to write my story. And you just silently say that in your heart. I want you to lead my life. That is worship. And for those of us that maybe have been trying to live it, trying to live with, God, you write my story holly, remind yourself to come back and say, whatever it may be, God, you write my story. I know there will be unspeakable joy, and I know there will be incredibly hard sacrifice. Renew that in my heart. God, help me to not grab hold of the reins of writing my story, because I know if you write it, it will be most beautiful. It will be most glorious. It will be used in your overarching story, because you are the giver of good things. Maybe some of us just need to worship God by saying, Lord, help me to fully live that again. That is worship. When we say, God, may it be to me as you have said, that's worship. Let me pray for us. Father God, you are so forgiving of us. You are so patient with us. God, I thank you that you meet us exactly where we each are, exactly, no matter how ugly or how beautiful, that you are merciful and good and forgiving and strength and grace, and you want to meet us exactly where we honestly are. Father God, I pray that wherever we find ourselves this morning, that we might consider in this next few moments just praying that to you, just confessing that to you, just speaking that to you. That's prayer, and that's worship. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for Jesus, the Savior, the Rescuer, the Deliverer, who will reign forever and ever. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.